hello, everybody. As Paul said, my name is Cody. And I'm Brittany. And we're really excited to get to speak to you guys about marriage tonight. Uh, so to start off, though, I want to first start off with a short clip um, to get us rolling. Y'all can quote it, yeah, you know it. <laughs> All right, you know what's happening. I, tr- I trust you. If you don't, tell me. Come talk. This is really important. If you don't know what's happening in this scene, come talk to me afterwards, and that'll be your application for this week, is to go watch that movie, because it's really important for you. All right. Oh. That's actually inspiration for the movie Inception. I don't know if you, yeah, real life, that was it. Dream within a dream. Bet you guys didn't know that. Learn something new every day. Uh, so I, uh, I knew with speaking about marriage that if I didn't show that clip, it would just be like hounding about half your guys' minds all night. So now that it's there, like purge it from your mind and we can move on. All right, got it? That's the deal. All right, let's, let's open with a word of prayer. Dear God, I thank you so much for this opportunity for Brittany and I to get up here and just talk about your word. I pray just first and foremost that you would be glorified by what we say and that you would really speak through your word and through Brittany and I tonight. I pray things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so I, I think this is a really important topic, like Paul was saying, for all of us in the room to hear tonight because... There are a lot of books and blogs and baloney about marriage out there uh, on the World Wide Web, okay? For real, you Google it, you'll find a whole gamut of different opinions, and it's hard to discern and figure out what exactly does the Bible say outside of the Bible. So what we're going to be doing tonight is actually just walking through what does the Bible say about marriage. Now, one thing to start off, uh, we're talking about a specific passage Uh, within the Bible about marriage, we are not trying to cover everything that the Bible says about marriage tonight, okay? That would take easily a conference, if not more, to try to cover. So uh, we're just talking about one specific passage, so just know that uh, to start off with. Um, And the more I really thought about and studied what God's Word said about marriage, the more convicted I got about how much I really think in college you need to have this picture uh, and there's, there's a reason for that is because who and how you date will affect who and how you are married later on. So if the Bible has things to say about who and how you are married, then that should affect how you conduct your dating life. So it's an, obvi- it's an obvious fact that outside of an arranged marriage, you're going to marry somebody you date, okay? I don't know if you realize that. Like, uh, some people just start sweating. Some dudes, I saw that glisten across your forehead. All right, like, calm down. It's just a fact. You will marry somebody that you date. Uh, So the relational habits that you set up while dating are of really pivotal importance if you want to have a healthy marriage later on in life. They really set the foundation because you set up those relational habits while you're dating, how you're relating to this person, how you conduct your relationship, and that sets the foundation for how you eventually conduct your marriage later on in life. 
So like I said, if the Bible has things to say about how we're married, those should have a pretty big impact on how we conduct relationships now in the stage of life you're in right now. So um, to start off, I really want to set the stage with the more overarching perspective of what the Bible says. Like I said, we're going to be talking about a specific passage, but I want to start off with a more overarching perspective of what the Bible says about marriage. And I'm actually going to defer to uh, Francis and Lisa Chan on this. Um, Francis Chan is a really famous uh, pastor and author, and him and his wife wrote a book on marriage called You and Me Forever. I definitely recommend it. It's a good book. And so this clip is from a conference they did based off of the book that they wrote on marriage. So just a five-minute clip, uh, and so we're going to go ahead and watch that now. When I look at our marriage, and I go, man, it's been 22 years, seven kids, and honestly, we don't fight a lot. And our marriage is awesome, and our kids are awesome, and the family's just is great, and, and, and it was kind of going, why is it so good? We don't even do all the love languages and stuff. Like, how, how, why is it that I'm so in love with the kids and they're so in love with me and our family's good and we don't work at it that much? And we realize, you know what, it's because from day one, we've looked at these passages like 1 Corinthians 7 and said, you know what, there's something bigger than us, bigger than you and me. It's more important than us having a happy marriage is that we have to make as many disciples as we can while we're on this earth. Like there's a purpose, there's a goal to our lives. And what we found is as you pursue God's mission together, which Paul says, man, that's the goal, is to secure undivided devotion to the Lord. And that whole 1 Corinthians 7 is about this, this, this mission that we're on. That's why you, I, I, we don't have time to cry. We don't have time to fight. We don't have time to, you, you know, it's, it's, it's like some of this stuff you've got to figure out for the sake of the mission. And uh, we realize, wow, it's by both of us focusing on the mission that somehow this works out so much better. It's like, it's like a sports team, you know? Like, a, you know, when you watch the Kansas City Royals, you know? Yeah, that's kind of boring. But uh, you, you know how <laughs> no one really wanted you guys to win. But uh, it, it, it's, it's like once they won, right, everyone's jumping on each other. You know, it's every championship. They're just hugging on each other. What are, why? Is it because they sat in circles and held hands and tried to improve their relationships? No. It's because they were after something. They were pursuing a common goal. And when they hit it, and they're both, you know, when everyone is clicking, we won the championship. It's, it was the byproduct. Their unity was a byproduct of going after a mission, a common mission. And I think a lot of the reason why we do this is we're not all focused on the same mission. And so when you get on board like that, like a good sports team, you see the unity but the unity isn't even something they pursue. It's the byproduct of being on mission together. So that, that was kind of the idea of the, the book was I would think of Lisa and I go, yeah, well, you know, I want us to have a great marriage, but that's secondary. Um, you're gonna stand before God. And I think we so underestimate what that moment is gonna be like. 
And I want God, because I love you, I want God to say to you, well done, Lisa. You did what you were supposed to do on this earth. Come, enjoy. And, and, not, and, and again, I'm not saying that that's how she gets saved. I'm saying at that moment, that, that idea of well done, like you did it. You didn't waste those years on that earth. And I guess for too many years, I feel like in the church, the goal is to have a happy family, a happy Christian family that doesn't swear. And, you, you know, I mean, let's face it. It's like, oh, what a great family. You know, they love each other and they don't swear. And I just go, man, is that what I see in the Bible? Is that what we've reduced this to? And then especially with where our world is going, I just think about our kids and the environment they're going to grow up in. Is that going to be enough for them? For them to go, no, I know God's real and I'll follow this thing to the end and I'll take whatever punishment, torture I need to take because I know this is real. But... Yeah, the verse I have been thinking of as you're talking is, it's so simple, but we miss it. So seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. And what we do is we seek first the good marriage or we seek first to be an awesome mom or dad instead of seeking first his kingdom and believing that out of that pursuit our marriage, our parenting, our ministry, everything will come from that one focus and that one pursuit to seek first his kingdom. And then I just think of a broad verse, we all know it like Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, whether you're eating, you're drinking, you're being married, you're trying to parent, Whatever you're doing, do it all for the glory of God. And I just want to ask you, like, when is the last time you even thought about, am I, am I being married? Am I in this marriage for the glory of God? Or have I somehow forgotten that goal, that whatever I'm doing, it's for his glory. It's not about me. It's not about him. So a great way. Uh, to be able to learn how to do everything for the glory of God is to look at what the Bible says about how to conduct our lives. So now I'm going to go ahead and jump into this passage that we're going to be talking about tonight. It's 1 Peter uh, 3, 1 through 7. I'm going to read it through. It says this, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if they do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Let, let this, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So I'm going to just dive right into verse one of that is likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. First Peter 3, 1. Um, so I. Uh, 
since submission is a whole other, I could do a whole other talk on that in itself. I have, it's like a little mini talk in the middle of it. So I have three points, but the main point is submission is a place of humility and honor, not weakness. Um, when I started study, studying this concept of submission for this talk, um, I was looking for like a historical character or someone to draw you to to illustrate like what that looks like but in my study I found that the best example of submission was actually Jesus himself um, and so since I broke it down into three points my first point is Jesus um, was submissive and so that might sound a little uncomfortable, but it is straight out of the Bible. Uh, so I don't know. It sounds uncomfortable. Uh, but 1 Corinthians 15, 28 says, the son will put himself under God's authority. So it explicitly says that Jesus was under God's authority. Um, I'd like to clarify that submissively following doesn't equal passively following. Um, Christ submissively followed God, but he definitely was not passive. Um, so if you think Jesus was weak for any reason, you really don't understand the life that Jesus lived. Um, Jesus was a powerful example of what biblical submission looks like. Um, so don't let the idea of submission be something you scoff at, because Jesus actively chose submission for himself, so you be scoffing at what Jesus chose. So wouldn't recommend it. Um, <laughs> um, my next point is uh, submission is an opportunity. Um, in this passage, uh, it's used as a tool to win an unbelieving husband to Christ. Um, so God uses submission as a sp powerful spiritual influence. Um, in verses 1 and 2, it says, So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word to the conduct by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So living this way is a notable witness to God. It portrays the ultimate trust in God by not stressing or controlling situations, but instead actively deciding to submit to God's sovereignty. If there were unsaved people in our homes, they will be won to Christ more by what they see in our lives, in our relationships, by what they hear from our lips. Um, however, this is not ideal, honestly. Uh, how heartbreaking would it be to have someone that you love the most um, not share the same faith in God? That would be awful. Um, but you can avoid this by being sure to marry a man mature and humble enough to lead biblically. Um, and if this isn't apparent, like obviously apparent during dating, I wouldn't hold my breath that that would happen in marriage. Because remember, like when you're dating, you tend to show the best side of yourself. Um, so when I started to understand the roles of submission and leadership in marriage, um, it made me more mindful about who I wanted to date. Um, I wanted to feel confident that Cody uh, would lead our family biblically if we eventually got married. Um, so this caused me to adjust my, like, quote-unquote requirements. I, I told Cody, that word sounds bad, but that is, I, there's not a better word. That's what it was, <laughs> requirements. <laughs> requirements for someone I dated. Um, so, ladies, it really does pay to be picky there. Because, um, again, if it isn't happening when you're dating, it probably won't happen when you're married. Um, and my last point is submission is a blessing. 
says, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So when wives follow this model, it relieves anxiety and allows them to live peacefully. So submission really is a service to wives and not a burden. Um, God designed men to handle and lead families in this way. And so following God's design for a family life will always work better than our own design. And this is just a foundational biblical principle that applies to everyone in lots of scenarios. Um, In every area of life, God's way is guaranteed to be the best option, even if it's not the popular opinion. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a path before each person that seems right, but ends in death. So we need to have faith and to trust God enough to follow his way, even if it's not the way that feels right. Because God authority, God's authority trumps my opinion 10 out of 10 times. <laughs> um, now, what I'm not saying is it's like some heavy burden to submit to Cody. Like, that's not <laughs> what I'm saying. It honestly is really easy to be submissive to Cody's leadership. Rarely has it ever felt like I had to yield what I want to do to what Cody wants to do. So much so, I was trying to think of an example of that for this talk, and I honestly couldn't think of a shareable example. So it really is not a common thing that happens with us. Um, What submission does look like in our relationship is me trying to offer intelligent, wise support of his leadership with a good attitude. Cody asks my thoughts and my input and insight into planning our family life. And if we can't agree, which sometimes happens, not often, but sometimes, um, I honestly trust Cody to do what's best. So that's good. (laughs) Um, God knows what's best for us, and his way of submission and leadership really is the path to joy. So that's my point on submission. (laughs) Uh, So moving over to the section that's really emphasized on leadership, Uh, Leadership is a role for giving, not getting. That's the fill in the blank there. Leadership is a role for giving, not getting. Verse 7 says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, this is not a cute idea. This is a threat. Like, this is a really strongly worded warning towards men saying that like if you don't do this you literally don't have a prayer okay that's what the verse says like it's it's really crazy uh and if we move on if we look at uh, another verse that talks about uh husbands ephesians 5 25 says husbands love your wives just as christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so jesus is the ultimate example both of following and of leading Christ didn't take his role of leadership over people as a chance to gain from them, but to give to them. The misconception people sometimes have when they read this verse in 1 Peter 3 is the Bible says men should look down on women as the weaker vessel. And that is such a a sad misunderstanding because it's so far from what the verse is actually saying. Uh, 1 Peter 3, 7 points out with very strong wording, that God values men and women the same. It very clearly says that. 
And Ephesians 5.25 compares the sacrifice husbands should make for their wives to what Jesus did for us by dying on the cross. It's a call, it's a beckon, it's a command to lead in servanthood as a husband. Uh, John Piper, he's a famous author and pastor, had this to say about Ephesians 5.25. The call for husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her revolutionizes the way he leads. Husbands should not stop leading, but turn all their leading into serving. The responsibility of leadership is given not to puff yourself up, but to build up your family. So going back to 1 Peter 3, 7, uh, I want to emphasize on this one line here. It says, live with your wife in an understanding way. Don't overlook this. This is really hard because women are really hard to understand. <laughs> like straight up, like that's the honest truth. They are hard to understand. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not kidding on that. It's, it's funny, but it's really true. Uh, there are times when I just don't not understand what is going on in Brittany's head, okay? Then it is not because she's having crazy thoughts. It's just she processes things in a different way than me. And so what I have to do in those moments is not just like run her over in the decision-making process, but slow down so that I can actually like talk to her about it and get an understanding of where she's coming from and what she's thinking and, and, and trying to tell me about. And a lot of the time from that, I gain really great wisdom into my decision-making for our family. It's been pivotal uh, in the last five years of marriage that I do this. And when I, when I don't do this, uh, when I do not live with my wife uh, you know, in an understanding way, I oftentimes end up making mistakes. This has been a really important lesson that I've learned over the past few years. The husband's responsibility as the leader is to sacrifice his own interests and serve his wife. Now, I don't always want to do this. And Brittany is crazy awesome, okay? Like, Brittany is awesome. And I don't always want to do this because I'm selfish. Like, that's just the, the dirty truth of the matter. Like, I don't want to do this because I'm selfish. I really honestly thought that I was an unselfish person before I got married. And then I got married. <laughs> And it was like like cleaning off a mirror and seeing myself more clearly and being like, holy smokes, I am a really selfish person. So then the good news is after that, I got the selfishness taken care of. It was behind me. All right. And then I had a kid. And it was, I was like game over. It's like, oh my goodness. Like I'm the most selfish person in the world. Uh, it was the, the mirror got cleaned off again. So now... At this point in my life, I've learned to just always assume I'm way more selfish than I think I am uh, based off of those experiences. Um, so for you all right now, how can you work on this stuff where you're at in life? And the real question is, how can you become a more mature person? And that's the real question here. The absolute number one best piece of advice that I could give to you would be to spend time with God every single day. Like, do not sacrifice that for your finals. Do not sacrifice that for work. Do not sacrifice that for hanging out with friends. You know, sacrifice other things for spending and investing time with God every single day. So if I'm not loving and serving God with my life, I am not going to be able to adequately love and serve my wife. 
and Jesus was the ultimate example of servant leadership, the better I get to know him on a personal level, the better I'm going to be able to uh, like understand the circumstances that are around me and make decisions like Jesus would in being a servant leader, the better I know him. So moving on to the last point here, it's character that counts. It's character that counts. First Peter 3, 3 and 4 says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, I understand that this is in the context specifically written to wives and to women, but the truth remains the same. It is character that counts. It is not the superficial. It is not the way we portray ourselves or the way we are perceived by others. It is actually character that counts. And I've always been surprised. I was surprised the first time I read this verse because I often think of vanity as like a, a modern day problem. But it's interesting when I was, I was doing some studying on this, and actually the, the culture that this was written to had a real problem with being vain. So the nice thing is that sometimes there's like these cultural differences, like from now to when the Bible's written, but we're on the same playing field there, like, right? We have a very vain culture, and that's constantly the temptation to buy into. And that was the same thing they were struggling with at the time. And this is extremely applicable to dating. We always put on our best face when we're dating. Brittany mentioned that earlier. It's just the truth. It's how it works. All right. And to prove it to you, I'm going to share an example. And I, I've seen this example play out a lot of times. And I think as I'm sharing it, you're going you're gonna to remember a time when this has happened to you as well. You, you have a friend. Maybe it's you, but we're going to go ahead and say you had a friend. All right. And they, they start getting interested in this person. And the person seems super chill and awesome. And, and they start dating oh, that's great, because that person's really chill and awesome, and I really like them. They're, they're a cool person. And then a little while goes on, and your friend starts acting kind of weird. And then it goes on a little while longer, and you find out the person they started dating was straight up crazy the whole time. <laughs> right? Like, you know, you know someone who's done that. It's not an uncommon thing. If you don't know happen. someone who's done that, then you're the crazy person. Yeah, yeah, you're... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's always a possibility. Sorry to break it to you. <laughs> you might be the crazy person. If so, you know, you got to work on that. It's character that counts, all right? Um, <laughs> that's funny. Um, so Proverbs 4.23 has this to say. Above all else, guard your heart, for it affects everything you do. This verse is not saying be a guarded person that doesn't, you know, uh, let other people get close to them. It's saying your heart affects your decision-making, it affects your life. When you let people close to you, they're going to affect the way you do life, the decisions that you make. And it makes it even more clear in Proverbs 13, 20. It says, walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. So the person you date and definitely the person you marry will have a profound influence and impact on you. That's why it's so important to look for an individual of character to be in relationship with. And this is what I did before I started dating. Uh, before I started my dating relationship with Brittany, I really purposefully observed her relationship with God first. I was committed to following Jesus, 
And I know this might sound bad, but I had resolved to not waste my time and money taking somebody out on dates who wasn't also committed to following Jesus. And if you knew me at that time, uh, you would know that I was no superstar, all right? I was no rock star by any means, but I just loved Jesus, and I knew that had an effect on who and how I dated. So date someone who challenges you to grow closer to God. That's my challenge to you. Date somebody who challenges you to grow closer to God. Anyone can walk the walk. Look for someone who has a consistent pattern of spiritual growth. And realize that this kind of person, if it's the kind of person that you want to date, that's going to be the kind of person you need to be. Okay? If you want to date somebody who is consistently growing closer to God, you need to be someone who is consistently growing closer to God. Because a person who lives that life is not going to waste their time dating a half-hearted Christian. Or at least they shouldn't, quite honestly. They shouldn't. So... In wrapping up, I want to share a few final thoughts with you about marriage and faith. Uh, and, and I think these are some really uh, pivotal points here um, for you to grasp onto. The f- number one is that healthy relationships are built upon a foundation of a healthy relationship with God. Like, that's it. Healthy relationships are built on a foundation of a healthy relationship with God. And that's really what this whole section of First Peter is talking about anyways, Like the context is marriage, but the actual uh, content is about faith in God. Faith in God has has two sides, the same coin. It's fear of God and trust in God. And these verses address how wives need to trust in the Lord and following their husbands, even when their husband is sometimes being a bozo, all right? Because that will happen, I can attest, that is the truth. Um, And for husbands, it's about fearing God and striving to honor him with how you lead your family. Um, Some things I wanted to add is uh, the times that our marriage has been the most enjoyable is when we are both focused on Jesus. That's really, it sounds like a line, but it really is really true for us. Um, When we are each striving to honor God, we work um, so well together, and our relationship is way more fun that way. Um, So I know it sounds kind of canned, but it really isn't. It really does go better when we're both focused on following God. Um, and also, don't wait to work on your marriage. You can do a lot right now. None of you are married, but you can do a lot right now um, to set yourself up for a healthy, fun marriage in the future right now, even if you're not even dating anyone. Yeah, don't, don't pursue a person and see if you find God in the process. Like Pursue God and see if you find a person in the process. Well, that's another challenge to you. I really want to challenge. That's the temptation. I know, like, I, I was right where you are right now, and you just got that, that hankering, like, I'm going to find, I'm going to find my future spouse before I graduate, all right? So you seniors are feeling the pressure right now, you know, I, I understand, I have been there, okay? But don't let that be what you pursue. Pursue God and see if you find that person in the process. And then this last bit goes for whether you are single, dating, engaged, or married, Um, Your future marriage relationship will benefit from your relationship with God today. How you conduct your relationship with God today will influence your future relationship. So when you wake up tomorrow morning, I want you all to remember that. How I conduct my day today and and how I relate to God today will influence my future relationships. All right, let's pray. 
Dear God, I, I really pray that that your word really shone through tonight. And, and I pray anything that we said that is not in line with your word, um, that would just leave people's minds, and that you would just really uh, make your word stick prominently throughout the week. It wouldn't be a message people hear tonight uh, and forget about by the time they go to bed, but there'd be circumstances throughout our week uh, where we remember these, these truths from your word and that uh, through them, we would really reap the blessing that you want us to reap. You really want us to have healthy relationships. And I, I pray that you'd help us to follow you and, and to see that blessing in our lives. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.